Good morning. Have a seat. How we doing? Okay. How many of y'all came last week? Yeah? If you weren't here, you missed out on breakfast because it was awesome. It was like, a, I don't know, there was everything from pancakes to like, a, was it a frittata? Was that what that was called? Yeah. It was delicious. There was tons of food you missed out, but we had a great time of brunch. It's something that we had done for the past few years. And then when COVID hit, it went to the wayside and they were like, hey, let's bring that back. And we did. So it was fun. Uh, but these next three weeks, that, that wasn't just a normal or an empty breakfast. I mean, that, that meant something because uh, what, what we're trying to do here at, at Ballard over these next three weeks and the first three weeks of the year is establish what our values are here as a, as a community. It's been a while since we've talked about it. And one of the major values we have here is that to be a place where people can find home. And what better to place to have home than to sit down across the table from someone and, and share a meal, get to know them. More than just like the three minutes of awkwardness that we just experienced. But like something where there's food, uh, where we can talk, where you can get to know someone's name, get to know them on a deeper level. So that was last week where we find home. I, I think that a lot of people in our culture today are missing that. We have a very lonely culture. Uh, and loneliness is more of an epidemic than most things in our, in our world. And so if someone walks into here, my hope and goals is that they would feel at home, where they feel known, loved, encouraged, uh, able to express uh, their, their relationship with Jesus and grow in there. And so that's one of the values we have. Today we're going to hit on the second one, and that's hope. Next week we're going to talk about healing. And so when people walk into Bethany Ballard, the three things, it has to all be the same letter because I get extra points for that. It's home, hope, and healing, and that's all brought to you by the letter H. Today, uh, we want to talk about a place where we find hope. Uh, I was talking with Stephen earlier today, and, and hope is one of those, those buzzwords that we come across, right? Uh, we we kind of know what it means. It means a lot of things. We hope that uh, our team wins today. I say our team. I mean my team, not your team, maybe. But we hope that they win today. Uh, we, hope, we hope that there's, you know... A, a good meal in our future. We, we hope that the person will respond to our text messages. Uh, we hope uh, that gas prices eventually come down even more. We hope for these things, and we hope for a lot of things. And when you hope for something, the word hope kind of dwindles down. It's like, what does hope even mean? Uh, we hope for so many things. But there's a difference between hope and a difference between faith. And, and I think those two may cause the confusion. We think we have faith, but really we have hope. We think we have hope, but really have faith. And there's a difference. Faith and hope are separate. And sometimes in my mind, they get so intertwined. When Paul talks about these th three things that remain in Corinthians, he says, and these things are the best. This is Corinthians 13 or 12. He says, the, uh, there is faith, hope, and love. And then he goes into 1 Corinthians 13. And if you've been to a wedding recently, that's the one that's usually read. I'll give you a hint. If you're, playing, if you're planning a wedding, don't read that passage in the context. It's not a nice passage. Uh, it's kind of, he's chewing them out with that. But he goes, these things remain, faith, hope, love. And they're all separate things. And then he says, the greatest of these things is love. But that middle one, hope, uh, we, we can, it, it is, is vastly different from the other two. Hebrews 11 defines faith, and he differentiates between what faith and hope is. He says faith is the confidence for what we hope for. And so we see right there that they're different. They're the assurance of things we do not see. Faith 
is a complete confidence in something. It's an intellectual assent to facts. It's you have faith in something that it will happen and you look forward to it happening. So it's the old adage, right? You have faith that that chair was going to hold you. That's a risky decision. I know how old these chairs are. But you had faith when you sat down that this chair was holding you. That's faith. It's the trust and confidence of something. Hope is different. Hope is the confident expectation that naturally stems from your faith. So you have faith in something and hope grows from your faith. It's the peaceful assurance that, that something will happen, that the thing that you have faith in will actually hold. It's kind of like this. If I were to go to my boys today, Judah and Caleb, and say, hey, guys, tomorrow we're going to Disneyland. I, I have no intention to go to Disneyland. Do not tell them because I don't want to go down there right now. But uh, if I say to this, we're going to go to Disneyland, they will be ecstatic, even though they don't watch Disney, but they've heard so much about Disney. They're like, yes, let's go. And, and based on my word, they will have faith that it will happen. At the same time, that belief in them creates this excitement where they won't be able to sleep uh, until we actually go. That's hope. Faith is believing the promise. Hope is the excitement that comes from it. Faith is grounded in the reality of the person who makes the promise, in the reality of the past. Hope is looking for the future. Some would say that hope is faith on its tiptoes. Like, oh, I can't wait for this to happen. Your toes are off the corner of the building. You're like, I know that this is going to happen, and I can't wait for it. Yet this is where the tension is, because it's easy to have faith in Christ for the promise of our salvation. We've been told that we say this prayer, we believe these things, we're saved, we have faith, and that's it. We're in. But what we don't do well in is allowing that faith to grow into hope. We have faith, and that's where it stops. It doesn't permeate to any other areas of our life. If we allowed hope to grow of faith, then we become hopeful people based upon the promise of our salvation. Some argue that we don't have hope, and that's not true. You have to have hope. Hope is an, an intrinsic part of who we are. Humans, uh, one author said this week, I was reading them, and humans attract to hope like moths go to the light. And I was like, that's kind of dramatic, but it's true. We want to be around hopeful people. We don't want to be around hopeless people. We have enough hopelessness in our world today that we don't want to be drowned out by it. And studies further show that uh, hopeful college students get a higher GPA and are more likely to graduate. Because they have hope. Uh, hope in athletes keep them playing because they hope they can win. They have faith in their training, but now they go out and play the game hoping that their training will win. In a study of the elderly, those who had hope responded better to medication. They responded better to treatments. Hope is an essential part of our life. So the question isn't whether we have hope or not. I think we all hope in something. The question becomes, what do you place your hope in? Where is your hope this morning? Some of us uh, hope on basic, uh, or on things that we need and that we hope that uh, whatever we're after will solve this ache. So if you're afraid of loneliness or you feel lonely, you hope that in some ways you will find some, a spouse or a person to share life with. And then you get hitched and you have kids and everything will be great. 
most of us have lived long enough to realize that's not always the case. Yeah, it's hopeful, it's great, you found your person, you're married. But sometimes it's, if you pinned all of your life's hope on that person, no matter how great they are, no matter how wonderful your marriage and family might be, you're going to be disappointed. You're going to inflate this balloon and then you're going to move in together and then you're going to start life and then there's going to be that first fight and pop, hope is gone. Most of us, uh, we've lived long enough to experience that. Some of us put our hope in our work or hope in our money. How many times have we seen someone's, uh, their joy is based on their bank account and then they, 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 they have this thin veneer of joy but the next bank statement comes with all of the Christmas shopping on it and their hope is gone. Or you hope in your health and you say that I'm going to follow all the recommendations from my doctor. I'm going to do everything. I'm going to check all these boxes. I'm going to exercise. It's the new year. We're all exercising right now. We're going to do this. We're going to have all, I'm going to do all the right things. I'm going to avoid groups. I'm going to take my supplements. I'm going to do my vitamins. I'm going to cut back on whatever you cut back on to be healthy. And then you get sick. Your hope in your health just went away. Others of us put our hope in politicians as if that was ever a hopeful idea. We think that if this person gets elected, uh, then we're going to be great because that person's in office and that means that person isn't. And now everything's hopeful. And then they take the oath and it's not any better. We're disappointed. We find our hope in the wrong things. We have a, as a culture don't have an absence of hope we have a misplaced hope. And this misplaced hope is why we see so many, I believe, why we see so many of the problems that we have in our world today. People are looking for answers. They're looking for a way to get through. In a hopeless society, people turn to substances, they turn to sex, they turn to addictions, they turn to bad characteristics that they think will bring hope, but they don't. I believe that the division, that this absence of hope has crept its way into the church. The church has based its whole being on things that aren't hopeful or things that don't last. We've majored in minors and we've, we've become about things instead of being about Christ. And if we want to be a place where we find hope or a place where people find hope in their lives through us, we need to address where we find hope from. Uh, the psalmist says it this way, and it should all be on one screen. He's talking about hope, and he says, why, my soul, are you so downcast? Why are you disturbed within me? His answer, put your hope in God, for I will praise him, my Savior and my God. Psalm 39 says this, but now, Lord, what do I look for? My hope is in you. In Psalm 71, for you have been my hope, sovereign Lord, my confidence since my youth. David's writing these. Most of them he's writing when he's in a hopeless situation being hunted down by a madman with a spear trying to kill him. Everything around his world is crumbling, yet he's the one who says, my hope isn't in my eventual coronation as king. My hope is in you. This is where I'm gaining my sustenance from. This is what keeps me going. The Psalms are clear. We need a place to put our hope in. And the scripture is clear. The only viable place that we should have hope is in Christ. The problem is, how do we do it? We can say, and I've said many times, just hope in Christ, just hope in Christ, blah, blah, blah. How do we do this is the question. 
How? Today, I want to give us three ways where we can place our hope in Christ. And it's a 360 view of your life, 360 degree approach. That means full circle, right? Not a math guy. 360 degrees of how we can find hope in our life. And we do this in three ways. We look at our past, where we see what God has done. Then we look at our present. We look at what God is doing. Then we look at our future. What will God do in the future? It's funny how God works. And I'm doing this, uh, I'm, I'm doing something on Thursday with the Bible study and they're, uh, I'm introing the book of Hebrews. And, and I didn't know, but this is, we're going to be in Hebrews today. So it was, hey, two birds with one stone. Or if you really like birds, two birds with one scone. Uh, but Hebrews, as you study Hebrews, if you look at Hebrews, it is a book entirely based on hope. The focus of Hebrews is written to a group of people who are going through some pretty hopeless situations. And many of them are bailing on the faith. They had come to Christ and now their world is falling apart. There's persecution coming. They're losing their homes. They're losing their families. They're losing their jobs. Some of them are being killed, hunted down. And they're coming to this hopeless situation and they go, we're done. Uh, I'm out. And some of them went back to paganism. Uh, The Gentiles went back to the Roman gods or the Greek gods. The Jews went back to Judaism and they've left Jesus. And so the writer of Hebrews, which is a whole other topic of who wrote Hebrews, uh, but the writer of Hebrews says this in the very first part, uh, the very first section of the book, she's writing to renew hope. She says this, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times in many different ways. Did you see where she begins? I believe a woman wrote Hebrews. We can talk about it later. But we could, you look at this and you can see, where does she begin to talk about hope? In the past. In the hopeless times. In the past, God still spoke. Remember the past. I have a hard time remembering 10 minutes ago. I have a hard time remembering what I'm supposed to get at the grocery store. I had to make three trips. Remember God, she says, remember, if you want to be able to build hope, remembering the past is key. And it was key to Israel. When Israel, when you look through the Old Testament, if you're going through Genesis, you'll see various markers where they remember something that happened in that place. So Jacob is running from his brother Esau's. Jacob is, is described as this uh, kind of weaselly guy, and Esau is... Uh, Just think of a bodybuilder crossfitter that's huge and muscular and wants to kill his brother because that's pretty much what it was like. And he was very hairy. And so it's the minor thing. But Jacob is running from him. And as he's running from him, he falls asleep in a place called Bethel. Bethel means house of God. And he falls asleep and he puts his head on a rock. And as he sleeps, he wrestles with God that night. God reminds Jacob of his name and then wakes up the next morning. Jacob has a sore hip and Jacob says, I'm going to remember this place. And so what's he do? He builds an altar at Bethel because this is where his life changed. He remembers that. So next time he's walking through that area, he sees the pile of stones or whatever it was that he built there and goes, that's what happened there, I'm going to remember it. If you fast forward into Exodus, it always goes through Exodus. They come through the Red Sea. They've been released or Pharaoh's chasing them. They go to the Red Sea. They get to the other side. They sing a song and then the Pharaoh's army is destroyed and then Moses builds an altar. Let's remember, let's never forget what happened here because God moved in a very hopeless situation. Then you get to the crossing the River Jordan. 
Joshua, Moses is dead. They're going into the promised land. This is what they've been hoping for. And now they're in a hopeless situation because they have this huge river and there's no way to get across. And God says, walk into the river. I'm going to stop it. And as I stop it, I want you to pick up 12 stones. And when you get to the other side of the river, stack those stones in an altar. And it says this in Joshua 1, that they will remember in generations to come what God did there. We remember what God did in the past in previous hopeless situations. It allows us to live with hope that God will move again. Do you have markers in your life of your past? Places where things were, where times weren't as good as they might be now. And you have a, a thing that happened and you can say, this is how God moved. In my Bible at home, uh, this isn't my home Bible. In my Bible that's on my desk, my study Bible, I have a bulletin from the very first Sunday that we were introduced at Bethany, February 27th, 2014. In it is a very bad picture of me and a great picture of Carrie, which is usually how it goes. Uh, but it's, it's us and it's our story and introducing us to Bethany. But that marked a very, very uh, end to a very hopeless situation. We didn't know what we were going to do. We were out of options. We, had nowhere, we didn't know where to go. And, and then God moved. We never expected to be here. I tend to like to surf more and enjoy the sun and didn't think that Seattle was going to be the place. But God moved in an unexpected way and brought us here. Every year, with, that's one of our markers. Every year, uh, another marker we have is every year Carrie brings out our Christmas ornaments. And... and, and Every year she goes and buys a new one that remind her of various pl- things that happened in the year before, things that we were into, things that we were going through. There's one ornament that, that she made that is listing all of the bad things that happened in that year. And it's, it's, it's a painful one to look at. At the same time, there's words on there where we saw God move in specific ways through those painful words like miscarriage, job loss, death. And it reminds us that in those hopeless situations, God moved. In my mom's backyard is a mailbox. And this seems weird. I don't, there it is. That's the mailbox. It's 4660. The back of that mailbox is melted. Like it's, it's barely holding up. My dad put a, a four by four in it so it would stay, stay put. That is the mailbox that was in front of their house the day it burned. And it's in her new house right now. It's a painful reminder of that November day where the wildfires came and we had, to, uh, we had 10 minutes to get out. It was one of the only things that was left standing. And it sits in her backyard now. I was a reminder that even in that hopeless situation, God met every single need that my parents had beyond what they needed. Rebuilt the house and, and it just, we can go on forever of the ways that God did it. But that marks a hopeless situation where God moved. It's a reminder of the past. Do you have things that remind you? Maybe there's something around your house that you don't even think of it as a reminder, but it's there. And every time you walk by it, you think of that one moment. Hebrews 2.1 says this, we must pay careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so we don't drift away. We have to pay attention if we want hope to the ways that God has moved in the past. Remember so you don't drift. 
If you want to be a person of hope, the first place to look is the past. The past is great. The past is full of reminders, good and bad ones. We can remember the past, but it's important we don't live in the past. Living in the past never gets you very far in the present. That's why it, it, one of the second part of this uh, three, the 360 view is find God in the now, in the present tense. It's instinctive for us to think that God has only moved in the past because it's easy to look behind us and see all of the answers. It's more difficult to find how God is moving in the present, in the present tense. But often the present tense is where we feel most hopeless. Things aren't working out. Our doubts are starting to work their way in. Questions come. Perhaps God has forgotten me. Perhaps I was wrong. Maybe that wasn't God in the past. Maybe it was just dumb luck. But watch what Hebrews says in Hebrews 4. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended to heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith that we, pre- that we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet did not sin. Let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. What tense is that? Now. That's the present tense. Where do they find hope? Where does this writer find hope? Where is she encouraging her church to find hope? In Christ. This is a present tense promise. Jesus remains one of us. He's still truly human and knows what it's like to be weak, knows what it's like to be disappointed, knows what it's like to be tempted, probably knows what it's like to get a cold, knows what it's like to be hurt, knows what it's like when life throws all of its things at us. Sometimes we make a mistake and we think that Jesus, when he rose from the dead on Easter morning, left all of his humanness behind. But that's, that's bad theology. We'll just say it, that that's not right. Jesus was still fully human on the other side of his resurrection. Why do you think he asked for something to eat? He still had the wounds. He still remembered everything that would happen. One of the most central marks of Christian faith and Christian theology, it's found in Paul's writing, is that Jesus still remains human. So when he represents us before God, as Hebrews is talking about, he isn't looking down as this detached person who's way far away from us going, oh, those measly humans, can't they get over their problems? That's not how he's doing this. Instead, he is someone who knows exactly how it feels to be where you are, exactly where you are right now. And what's he doing? The same thing he was doing on earth. He's pleading our case. He's standing in our spot. He's interceding in our behalf. Mark 6 tells one of my most favorite stories about Jesus. And it's, it's the part where John the Baptist, the sequence goes, it's also in Matthew 14, but the sequence goes like this. John the Baptist dies, which was Jesus' his cousin, his, his buddy. So Jesus is disappointed. He feeds the 5,000, and then he dismisses the disciples to go across the lake. And whenever the disciples get in the boat and go across the lake, you're like, oh, something's going to happen. At some point, you have to wonder why the disciples kept doing that. That's another question. But uh, so he goes, the disciples move out across the lake. Jesus is said to go someplace and pray on the side of the mountain. As he's on the side of the mountain, a storm comes. And, and Mark describes it as the, the boat was being buffeted to every side. The winds were hitting it. The waves were hitting it. It was a dire situation. It always is on that lake at night. And so Jesus, however, isn't with them. 
and you could you can kind of sense that there's panic happening. They were hopeless. They thought they were going to die. They thought Jesus had abandoned them. Yet when all this was happening, Mark wrote this in, in Mark six forty seven. Later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake, and he was alone on land. He was Jesus. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. And shortly before dawn, he went down to them. So let's think present tense. When the disciples were in the storm, did Jesus forget about them? No. What was he doing? Watching them. He saw them. They were getting tossed by the winds. Did he care? Yes. What was he doing? Praying for them. And then when they were about to drown, did he leave them alone? No. Continue the passage. Jesus walks on the water to them. And so when they thought all hope was gone, Jesus was on his way. This is hope in the present tense. You might think you're sinking. You might think Jesus has forgotten about you. You might think there's no hope to even continuing on with your life, with this situation, with this marriage, with this relationship, with this job. Hope is gone. Jesus is left. That's not true. He's on his way. You might think he's forgotten about you. He's praying for you. You might think he doesn't see you. No, no, no. He's, he's got a better perspective on what's going on than you do. And he's watching you. This is hopeful. You're not alone. It happens in, in the book of, uh, of Exodus. Again, Exodus, the people of Israel thought they were alone in Egypt, thought they were not, not going to be saved. And yet what does God say to Moses? Tell them I've heard them, I've seen them, I'm on my way. Same patterns. He's on his way. And then he sends Moses. And then they're free. You're not in a hopeless situation in the presence. The hope in the present is knowing that Jesus is with you. He's on his way to you. Many of us are in a boat right now. and We feel like the storm is going to overtake it. We feel like we're not going to make it at all. Jesus is still doing the same thing for you as he was for the disciples that night. It might not look like it. It might not feel like it, but he's on your side. It might not seem like it, but he sees you. This is Jesus in our present tense. And if you're like me, there's still that one tense that we never really get, right? It's the future tense. How do we have hope in the future? It's the questions of the what if and the how wills. What if this happens? What if I don't get this? Uh, how will that situation work out? What if that job never comes? What if that situation never changes? How will I respond? What ifs and how wills? What if I get sick? What if that person dies? How will I ever make it? How will I react? How will I manage? The answer to these questions is where our hope and our faith intersect. Flip with me if you're, if you're there. If you're not, get there. Hebrews chapter 6. When God made his promise to Abraham in verse 13, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. Now what we don't see is that there is a number of years, about 20 to 30, where that Abraham waited. It's not like, oh, I got this promise, I'm going to wait three or four days, and then it's going to happen. 
No, he was 75 years old when he received the promise that God was going to make a great nation. He, he said his wife was advanced in years. He was very polite. He didn't tell his wife's age. So I'm old. My wife's advanced in years. Let's be cool about that. So the questions must have come. How is this going to work out? Uh, what if this kid, this promise doesn't happen? Abraham's asking these questions. He's wondering how he can hope in. And so in Genesis 15, he expresses this to God. He says, God, I, this isn't happening. What's taking so long? And in Genesis 15, God takes him outside. And it's, it's that famous passage where God, it's dark probably. And he looks up at the stars and says, can you count them? And Abraham goes, no. And then God says, this is the promise. Uh, you're going to have as many descendants as those stars. This is the promise I'm making. And when God swore it, he didn't say, I swear the oath on the Bible. He says, I swear it by who I am as God. The character of God's promise is based on who he is and what he's done. And so Genesis 15 says this, Abraham believed the Lord and it was credited to him as righteousness. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you up out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land and now take possession of it. Abraham's past is informing his present, which shapes his future. God made a promise, and the sign of that promise was God himself. Abraham believed, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Hebrews 6 says this again. People swear by someone greater than themselves, and the oath confirms what, they, what is said, and it puts an end to all arguments. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things, which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled can take hold of this hope set before us and be greatly encouraged. Doesn't mean Abraham didn't doubt. Doesn't mean Abraham didn't have those freak out situations that we all wake up with. It means that in the middle of those freak out situations that are going to come, your hope is renewed that you have a God who has promised you that he would be with you. It continues in Hebrews 6, we have a hope that is an anchor for our soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner, Jesus, has entered on our behalf. Our hope anchors us securely to our future because we're anchored to someone who holds our future. I, I took the boys down to the locks a few weeks ago and we were watching the tugboats come in and out and it was, they were mesmerized by the size of these boats and, and they start asking questions like, where is this boat going? And I, I don't know. Finally, they start asking questions and I start making things up. And so they said, uh, how, how long has this boat been here? 45 years, sounds good. <laughs> uh, the boat captain comes out. What's his name? No, he looks like a Bob. I think his name's Bob. And so they say, hi, Bob, and he doesn't wave back. I say, he just, he can't hear you. <laughs> and so they start asking these questions, and I have a good time with them. But then we walked around to the other side, and Judah saw on the front of this, this boat was this enormous anchor. And he goes, Dad, what's that? Uh, that's an anchor. I, I told him what it did. And he goes, cool, what's it do? And I, I took him around, and the boat was sinking down. And uh, in the locks, it wasn't sinking. It was, it was going down. And we were able to see the, the massive chains that were on the boat. And it was just kind of, you know, 
coiled there or whatever they call it. And I say, see, that anchor is held to those chains and those chains go way down into the boat and they hold on to the very strongest part of the ship. And then when they go out into the water and they need to stop for the night, uh, they drop this anchor and the anchor is so heavy that it goes right to the ground in the ocean and digs in so that the boat won't move and drift away. And he goes, why is that important? And I was like, oh, okay, here we go. Uh, so I wanted to take him to watch a Deadliest Catch episode or something like that where they have to anchor, but that was, was we had, the moment was now. And I said, if you don't have an anchor, the current can take you and can throw you on the shore. Or if you anchor to the wrong part of the, of the ocean floor, uh, it's going to be too loose and the, the, the tide will, will take you or the winds will blow you and you can either sink or you can get dashed upon the rocks and likely you will drown and... and he's looking at me going, so that's, that's pretty important. Yes, it's very important. And he, he says, do all boats have them? <laughs> I certainly hope so, is my response. You and I are like ships going through the locks. We're going to these open seas. And many of us have anchors. We all have anchors. We're all hoping in something. The problem is when we drop that anchor on certain things, it doesn't hold very well. Then we get into a hopeless situation and we're being tossed around by our worries and our fears and we're forgetting our past where God has taken care of us. And because of the current storms and everything going, we're missing that God's working in our present. And because we haven't dropped anchor on the most secure foundation in our lives, our future seems uncertain. I love the imagery of Hebrews and we we each have this anchor for us. And the encouragement that, that's written in Hebrews is in these uncertain times, question, where are you anchored most? And the, the writer of Hebrews writes this in a way that this chain that is our anchor for our soul is attached to our deepest part of who we are, our souls, our mind, our intellect, our will. Uh, it's, it's, it's attached like a chain to our hearts, and the chain goes up to where Christ is, and it's wrapped around his waist, and he's holding us. Where is Christ? In the very presence of God. You're anchored to the strongest, most sure foundation of Christ in God, pleading your case for your benefit, for your care, so that your future is secure. Because he's talking to the one who shapes the future. This is our hope. And when you have hope in a sure place of Christ, the anchor does not shift. It does not fail. The chain will not break. So today the question is simple. As you enter into this new year, as we enter into our hopeless world with who knows what the next news cycle is going to bring, where is your anchor today? Is it on a situation that's going to change in 10 minutes? Is it on your health Is it in your bank account? Is it in a relationship? Is it in your car? Is it in your tools? Is it in what is it in? Today, your anchor needs to be on something that never moves, something that is stronger than you can have. And that brings you hope. And hope is faith. That hope stems from your faith that comes from the promise that God made. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you uh, that we can have hope. In a hopeless world, you give us the ability to have hope again, 
in a hopeless world where everything goes wrong, where everything's happening and, and we can't keep up, where, where we're scared, where we're asking those questions, we can anchor our lives and our souls to the one who does not shift. To the one who is standing in the middle of your courts at the, at the throne next to your right hand, pleading our case. Thank you that we could have hope in the uncertainty. We don't know what it's going to look like. We don't know what it's going to feel like. We don't know if it'll go our way, but we still have hope that you're working on our behalf. And so Lord, this week, would you bring reminders to all of us of ways that you've worked in the past? Would you, would you bring up those mementos that are scattered throughout our house that, that tell a story of where we've been? Will you bring those to our minds, whether they're in our junk drawer or on our shelves somewhere? May we remember the story of what you've done. The Lord, in our present, may we remember that you see us. The name Yahweh means closer than our breath. And that's who you are. And when we don't think you're close, you're on your way. You see us. And God, in the uncertainty of what the future brings, may we have a confidence that you are working all things together for good. May our hope be in you. In your name we pray.